Thank you for selecting this message by Dr. James Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman preaches verse by verse through the entire book of the Bible. From all of us at Living Water of Lapine here in Central Oregon, we hope that it will encourage you and feed you spiritually. And if you would like to leave a message after the sermon, our contact information is found on the sermon page where you found this sermon. Now may God richly bless you as you listen. I was reading an article this week that uh, said that nearly four in ten Americans say that we are living in the end times. According to a poll that was conducted April 2022, it was taken against the stark backdrop of claims about climate change, the pandemic, nuclear uncertainty, and doomsday cults. This Pew Research Center survey of more than 10,000 adults found that 39% of Americans, whether Christian or not, called these the end times. 39%. Now, that surprised me. I I didn't think it would be that high. But 58% were assured that humanity is not careening toward catastrophe. Researchers added, periods of catastrophe and anxiety such as the coronavirus pandemic have historically led some people to anticipate that the destruction of the world as we know it, the end times, is near. Those types of fears certainly are present today. And they seem to relate to the expectation among Christians that Jesus will return to earth after or amid a time of great turmoil. I'm one of those believers who thinks that way. But there is something very tragic in light of the scripture that we are going to be studying today in all of this. Are you ready? Only half of those who identify themselves as Christian only half, say Judgment Day is closing in. Boy, is it ever important to sound the same warning today that Jesus gave to his followers that we will be seeing in our passage. The warning in our passage is for us to be ready Don't be like the house steward who gets lazy while his master is gone. When the owner finally comes home, he's not ready. Jesus condemns this person. Now get this. Not for evil done, but for good undone. This is a warning for all of us. 
You might believe with all sincerity that the Lord will return and that his time is near. But Jesus warns us that condemnation will not only be for evil that has been done, but for good that has been undone. Be ready. Don't be lazy. There are things that we know that we should be doing, and we're not, we're being lulled into inactivity by the fact that the Lord has delayed his coming. We are to do the things that we would do if this were our last day, but not frantically or desperately. Last week we studied in the passage, just before this one, the parable of the rich fool. Jesus warned followers against material greed. And right after that warning, he challenged us not to worry about finances and material things. He knows what we need. Now, in today's passage, he calls for us to be ready for his return. You know what? I think Luke presents this teaching of Jesus next. Because if we busy ourselves in light of Jesus' imminent return, we will not be worrying. Readiness, looking for the coming kingdom, is an antidote to worry. Look at these verses that were part of our passage last week, where I basically stated that with these Verses from last week. Here they are again. Luke 12, verses 29 and 31. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. You see, readiness, looking for his kingdom, is the antidote for worry in your life. Now, look with me, please, at the first verse of our section that we're covering today in Luke chapter 12. It is Luke 12, verse 35. I love this. It simply says, stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. I've done a lot of thinking about this very first verse this week. You know, it says so much. And I was thinking, I I would love to print that on a t-shirt or a polo shirt. Most certainly, I think I'm going to start using this in every greeting card that I sign. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. You know, it's such a powerful message in just that little statement right there. And by the way, if anybody wants to uh, print up some uh, shirts with that verse on it, maybe our church logo, I'll buy one. (laughs) But uh, maybe I'll start dismissing even every worship service when we're concluding with stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. You are dismissed. 
No, no, come back, come back, come back. I, I'm just saying that that's what I, I'm thinking about doing as we demiss our service, our worship services after we're finished here. And we're not finished yet. All right, Luke 12, 35 says, be ready for the arrival of the Lord. He is coming back. The readiness means to remove from your life anything that is spiritually hindering you and let your light shine for Christ. Earlier translations of this verse said, let your loins be girded. That I like stay dressed for action much better because it communicates so much clearer to this generation Loins girded, huh? Well, the two phrases actually mean the same thing. Girding your loins was an expression for removing hindrances so that you can freely work. It carried the idea of being diligent, prepared, or just ready. No one wore pants in the first century. Both men and women wore tunics, which are kind of dress-like. Um, these were outer garments that extended well below the knees. And when a man needed to run, climb, work, or fight, in short, any activity that required nimble movement, he gathered the material in the back of his tunic and pulled it forward between his legs and then tucked it into his belt. Consequently, gird your loins became an image and a phrase for readiness for action. Now, this same truth is taught in several other verses of Scripture. We're to remove sinful habits that hurt our effectiveness for Christ. There is, for example, Hebrews 12.1, and that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We also have 2 Corinthians 7.1, and that says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Second, Timothy 2.4, I offer as a third example here. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, the phrase, keep your lights burning, also deals with being ready or being prepared. This second image of burning lamps shows someone's readiness to move about in the midst of darkness. Now, we can certainly say that the world is a dark place right now and getting darker. However, there is another application here that I'd like to point out. We are to let our light shine for Christ because we are the light of the world. Listen, a great way to be ready for the rapture, to be rapture ready, is to be on fire for God. 
Lift up the name of Jesus in your actions, your attitudes, and in your words. Be distinctive in your behavior. Share the gospel with those who need the Lord. Matthew 5.16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now the Lord's people are to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Another verse that I want to show you here speaks very strong toward being ready for the coming of the Lord. Uh, The word of the writer of Hebrews is very helpful here. In Hebrews 10.25, he says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see what? The day drawing near. Look how the writer of Hebrews declares that being ready means attending church regularly, not forsaking your own assembling together. And even more so, when you see that Christ's return is close. You know, since COVID-19, church attendance everywhere has significantly dropped. We've never returned to pre-COVID-19 numbers in America. And yet we definitely see that day drawing near. Isn't it sad that so many people claim to be believers, and yet they are ignoring Christ's strong warning right there in Hebrews. As we continue now in our passage, uh, we'll eventually see what will happen to those who willfully ignore it. We're going to see that uh, in just a couple of minutes here. But before we get to it, let me uh, give you a parable that Jesus tells and then he expands and describes and explains it. In uh, Luke 12, verses 36 through 38, we read. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. 
Now, first of all, I need to point out that this is not the same passage about the bridegroom who goes to get his bride. Uh, That one speaks of readiness too, but it addresses it a little different. The example that Jesus gives us here is about a man who attends someone else's wedding and finally comes home. You see, Hebrew wedding celebration could last for several days. So that the time of a guest's return home would be anybody's guess. This man was a homeowner who had servants. But the uncertainty of his return back home did not put off these excellent servants. Though it was late at night, they were still dressed and ready for service. That is, they not only remained faithfully clothed in their daytime serving attire, but they had their long robes tucked and under their belts even, making it possible for them to move quickly once the knock came, to move quickly to that door and open it up. These people were prepared. The night was also kept bright because they vigilantly replenished the oil in their lamps and they would trim the wicks so that it would put forth maximum light. They were awake and alert. These servants were remarkable. They didn't give in to fatigue and they displayed no irritable grouchiness, even though it was very, very late or early in the morning. They didn't have an attitude. As I've been saying, these verses are about Jesus' return, and I need to say something else here uh, in order to avoid a very common confusion among believers. Many believers have this confusion. Did you know that Jesus' return is coming in two phases? Two phases. Now, the first phase of Jesus' return is called the rapture. It will happen at any moment. It could happen today. It could happen before I finish preaching here. Yeah, cool. (laughs) I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) Every true believer will be suddenly removed from this planet. We'll instantly, in a twinkling of an eye, disappear and be caught up in the clouds where we will meet Jesus and all of our loved ones who have placed their faith in Christ and who have died before us. Uh, We're going to have a joyful reunion. Uh, Here is a descriptive passage about that occurrence. Please take a look now with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, the second phase of Jesus' coming is going to be at the end of the seven year period known as the tribulation. 
while we are with the Lord, God is going to be pouring out his wrath here on earth. We're going to be in heaven, and we're going to be experiencing what our passage we just read here in verse 37 about Jesus, what he is going to be doing for us, the faithful, watching, prepared servants will be happening. He's going to rapture us and he's going to bring us to a table, a feast where he will serve us. Did you see that in verse 37 that we just read? That tells us that. What a reversal of roles. Verse 37 says, blessed are those servants. Then because that wasn't exuberant enough, he said it again in verse 38. Blessed are those servants. Now, in contrast, here is a descriptive passage about the second phase of Christ's return. We find this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I think that's you and I after our feast. We're going to be with him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so he will crush the Antichrist who has been wreaking havoc here on earth and slaughter all of his evil forces. Now, that is going to be after we have been raptured and after we have been served by the master. Both phases, the one that we saw in 1 Thessalonians and here in Revelation chapter 19, both of these phases and even what happens in between, all of that falls under the heading of the day of the Lord. The rapture, phase one, is what we are waiting for right now. It is what our passage today is speaking of to be ready for. What we are being told to make sure we are ready for by being about the Lord's business. I just have to quote Chuck Swindoll's comment about 36. He writes this. It's difficult to see in the English of 1236... 
But the Greek grammar places great emphasis on the pronoun you. I would paraphrase the command like this. You there. Yes, you. Be like men who are waiting for their master. Now the emphasis grabs one by the shoulders and shakes the reader with each syllable. This is for you. Wake up. Be ready. How sad to know about all this and not bother to be ready. Because the rapture can take place at any moment. We are to be ready, watching, and waiting for his return and faithfully serving him. I have to ask, are you rapture ready? Now, verse 38 mentions being ready if he comes in the second watch or in the third. And the Jews, you see, had divided up the amount of time between sundown to sun up into four sections. The second watch was from 9 p.m. to midnight. The third watch went from midnight to 3 a.m. Either one of these watches for a first century Jew was a long time to stay awake and alert. And even for us. And in fact, we have been waiting a long time for Jesus' return. And there is every indication that we are near the end of the third watch. His return is imminent. Don't get groggy, as many have. What a great warning for us. Now, when will he return? Jesus used a second example for us to understand the surprise nature of it. And so we now read on in verses 39 and 40. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When the figure changes from the master to a thief, it's to emphasize the element of unexpected appearance. Paul used the same figure of speech for Christ's second coming in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. You're probably familiar with this verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's going to be very surprising. His coming will be like a thief. It's going to be unannounced. It's going to be unexpected. And we must be ready. A couple of weeks ago, the thieves that smashed the window of my truck, they, they didn't... They didn't call out, hey, you, we're breaking into your truck. (laughs) Burglars don't send postcards announcing the time and place of their next target. So the homeowner must remain alert at all times. Furthermore, first century thieves usually gained entrance by digging a hole in the exterior wall, which was usually constructed from mud. 
Consequently, the head of a household had to keep watch over every inch of the home, not just the doors and the windows. Presbyterian pastor Robert Murray McShane sometimes would ask people, do you believe that Jesus is coming today? Now, if they would reply in the negative, he would say, then you better be ready, for he is coming at an hour when you think not. (laughs) Jesus has been addressing the issue of a faithful servant that is prepared and ready for the arrival of his master. Now, as we continue through our passage, we will be reminded again that there is going to be a day of reckoning. Some folks are going to have a reckoning of rejoicing and reward because they have been faithful in serving Jesus Christ and faithfully working when he returns. You know, the thing God wants is faithfulness. Others, however, will experience the rigors of a rude awakening because of their unfaithfulness, their apathy, their being so ho-hum about his return. Verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter, he says, "Um, Lord, now you've just implied that some people are not going to be ready, but uh, those of us who are part of your 12 special disciples are, those are not the ones you're talking about, right? Now, in order for us to understand what Jesus is teaching, as we move on now through the rest of this passage, we must understand Jesus' answer to Peter's question here. Who are you talking about, Lord? So let me tell you what to watch for as we move on into the next couple of verses here. Jesus is going to answer this question in essence by saying he is addressing any and every steward in the house of God. The master's house, as he puts it, which is the church. This applies to anyone who associates themselves with Jesus and undertakes official responsibility with his people. That includes every pastor, every elder, every deacon, every denominational leader, and anyone involved in ministry of one form or another. Jesus is going to use the term Manager. Every Christian is a steward or a manager. We are made into servants of the Lord and Master, our Master Jesus Christ. All believers have been entrusted with responsibility and gifting for building up 
fellow believers. Now, this is not only about godly men and women. It embraces those who have been placed in positions of leadership over others in the church who are not believers at all. There have been plenty of ruthless, ungodly, worldly, even bloodthirsty leaders of the church down through the centuries. And these are about to be spoken of. He is addressing any and every manager in the house of God. But first, Jesus speaks of the godly managers. And so let's look how he speaks of those in verses 42 through 44. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now, what is at stake here is how much responsibility you will have in Christ's kingdom during his kingdom reign. We're going to rule with him, you see. And great honor will be given according to how much a person is given charge over. If you're found as being very faithful when he returns, he might let you be like the mayor of London or New York or Chicago or Portland. But of course, bear in mind in that day, they will be purged of all their evil (laughs) by showing less faithfulness. You might be given charge over a rundown neighborhood of Lapine, Gilcrest, or Christmas Valley <laughs> as you reign with Christ. The greater your faithfulness, the greater your honor will be in reigning with Christ. This is what awaits God's faithful servants who have been diligent with their tasks. Now, let's see about the ungodly servants in the ensuing verses here. The unfaithful servant reminds me of the student who goofs off in the classroom when the teacher steps out into the hall. Jesus, in the next verse, describes the conclusions of the unfaithful servant who believed, well, since my master has delayed his arrival, that he could do as he pleased. Now, I'd like for you to notice the repulsive behavior of this unfaithful overseer. His arrogance causes him to be greedy, ruthless, harsh with others, and very much abuse them. Jesus is about to predict a significant and very unfortunate part of church history. It has an. 
Church history has left a very ugly blemish on Western civilization, which to this day turns many people off. It turns people off concerning Jesus and his church. But you know, Jesus saw that it would happen, and he speaks of it in this very next verse. Verse 45 says this. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Now I'm going to stop there before I go into verse um, 46. I know we're kind of stopping right there at an awkward place, but let me just describe who he is speaking of here in this as this kind of servant. We shouldn't only think that this is about the ugly part of our Christian history. You see, there are many people who are part of the church today who live in a fantasy world that says, because I prayed a prayer, because I walked down the aisle of a church during an altar call, because I agree with right doctrine, I've got fire insurance that is going to protect me from hell. And you know what? That means I can live any way I want right now. I can engage in sexual immorality. I can be just as wild as I want because I got my fire insurance. If that's you, you are in for a rude awakening. Now, there is something else we need to see here. Once a believer starts to think that his master is not coming back, his life begins to deteriorate. Our relationship with others depends on our relationship to the Lord. So if we stop looking for him, we will stop loving his people. The motive for Christian life and service must be a desire to please the Lord and to be faithful at his return. Maybe he will not come back today or even tomorrow, but he is going to come. Our tendency is to let things slip because he's not yet appeared We feel like we're getting away with things, but in reality, we're getting away with nothing. In the day that he comes, we will be judged. Now, believers are not going to be judged to see whether you make it to heaven or not. That is affirmed the moment we place our faith in Jesus that he has accomplished our salvation on the cross. He has taken our punishment. It happens when we accept that punishment he took was for me by dying on that cross. And I place my faith in that. No, this judgment determines the degree of reward, our heavenly honor that we will receive. The unwise steward commits two errors. First, he says to himself, I will do as I please while my master is away. 
And second, he says, I have plenty of time to put things right before my master returns. Their heavenly reward will be little. Now, if this servant isn't a believer, it's going to be very harsh. Let me show you verse 46. It goes on to say this now. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow. Cut into pieces and put with the unfaithful. He will definitely be rejected and be subjected to great pain. Now this does not mean that this servant once had, but has lost their salvation. That's reading into this verse. Remember, this parable is about anyone who has been a manager, an overseer, a leader in the church that is associated with Christ. This servant probably never was a true believer. And I believe that there have been many unsaved managers of Jesus' church through the centuries. And you know what? They're not going to get away with it. They won't. Here's another description of an unfaithful servant. Verse 47 goes on. It says, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Now, here is a man who is well-schooled in the things of God. He knows what is expected of him. Nevertheless, he wastes his time and talents. He ignores God's will for his life. Instead of laying up treasure in heaven, he fritters his life away. Now, I think this is still dealing with non-believers here who have been given responsibility inside the church. They will not be in glory. I don't think there's going to be any beating in heaven. And so I have to conclude this is speaking of an unbeliever who happens to be managing a church. And then verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You see, the first part of this verse is showing us that there's going to be different degrees of punishment. There will be different degrees of reward. We saw that and how much oversight you will be given in Christ's kingdom for the faithful servant and for the unfaithful servant. There will be different degrees of punishment. Yeah. Those who are part of Christianity's ugly blight on history are not going to get off scot-free at all. Now, some may disagree with me. That's okay. But this much is very clear. You see, the second part of verse 48 expresses that the talents with which God has given you and has given me 
must be used for his service. The best use must be made of your time. It must be redeemed. Your opportunities that he gives you must be used properly. No one has the right to be lazy. We're responsible for the truth that comes to us. For example, as soon as I know the bridge is down, the bridge ahead has been washed out, I am responsible to stop every car behind me and tell them that's responsible living. Jesus' followers understand that Christ is real. The Bible is true. Hell is a factual place, and eternity is long. Therefore, we are held responsible to give this information out. I want you to take another look at the second part of verse 48. It says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. We have so much. We have the word of God in the Old Testament. We have the word of the prophets. We have the converts. We have the word of the New Testament, the revelation of Jesus coming to earth, the gospel of grace, the teaching of Jesus, the apostolic witness and teaching. We have over 2,000 years of the church's comprehension of all this, excellent minds putting it all together. We have abundant preaching. We have Christian education. We have thousands of books and podcasts. We have a wealth of opportunities. Consequently, much is required of us. But who cares? If you're not looking for Jesus' return, you won't. The thrust of Jesus' message can be summed up in two words today. Get ready. He is coming. What are you doing with your life? Is Jesus first? Are you living every day for him? This is what really matters. I'm going to close with the words of a famous missionary named C.T. Studd. Here's what he wrote. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, 
gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. Join me as we pray, please. Hi, this is Dr. Hoffman. It is our hope at Living Water that this message has encouraged and deepened your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermons are intended to be a free gift to any listener. But at the same time, I thought that I would let our need be known. Living Water, Lapine, is a church that is located in a rural area of central Oregon, ministering to a poverty-stricken community. If God has blessed you through this message, and you have already given to your own local church, if you sense that God would have you help our ministry with a financial gift, you can find out how to do that at our website. It is www.livingwateroflapine.com Thank you for listening.